0: Hey, this is Brian here with the podcast from Mid City Vineyard Church. If you want to learn a little bit more about Mid City Vineyard, you can check us out online, midcityvineyard.org, on Facebook, Mid City Vineyard, or on Instagram, at Mid City Vineyard. We're located uh, right in the heart of New Orleans, Louisiana. We meet on Canal Street on Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, and we'd love for you to join us anytime you can. We've been in a series entitled the Sermon on the Mount for the last uh, nine weeks now, and this week we are doing part two of Matthew chapter five, verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be known as the children of God. I've entitled this one, "The Art of Peace." Hope you enjoy. Thanks for checking us out. Look forward to meeting you sometime in the near future. Much peace to you. I run the clock backwards from pop songs to folk songs I turn back the chapters the, was the last 9 weeks now we've been in a series on the sermon on the mount we are in Matthew chapter 5 and uh, we've been working through each of the beatitudes over these last number of weeks last week we were on blessed are the peacemakers for they will be known as children of God. And I think that there is so much packed into what it is to be a peacemaker and what it is to be a child of God. I think there's so much that Jesus is saying there that we've actually, we, we divided that teaching into two weeks. And so tonight we're going to continue with part two, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be known as children of God. If you would like to catch up, you can go onto our website and download the podcast and you can catch up on these teachings as each one builds on the one before. And as we start tonight, it was really, really exciting for me because I actually got uh, a couple of emails this week about how the teaching last week on peacemakers really resonated with a number of folks, which was it's highly encouraging to me because it, it resonated deeply within me. And so to know that God is moving and the Spirit's moving in us as a community is really exciting to me. And tonight uh, I've asked Sherry, if she would actually kick us off by giving us a little bit of a story of some things that have really been revealed to her and some things that the Spirit's been doing in her life. So if you would come right here, I can pick it up on this, and that'd be great.
1: So this is a, a, bit of a, this is a story. Um, you know, I, as, as we just go through our day-to-day lives, um, sometimes I feel like we're just in a fog and I'm not paying attention. But this kind of was uh, one of those light bulb moments. Um, not necessarily a favorable light bulb, so I'm telling on myself and some of the, uh, my not so great characteristics, um, but I wanted to uh, read a Facebook message that I posted, I think it was on, let's look and see, I know you guys are dying to read my Facebook, but we are going to do so. All right, Um, on July 12th at 10.36 p.m., I write on a serious note, my new, been there about a month, next door neighbor, has two little kids and she yells at them all the time. I've lived there for two years and I haven't had any noise problems, but I can hear exactly what she yells to the kids, like, shut up and leave me alone. I've thought about yelling at her through the wall. I've thought about putting a note on her door. I've thought about calling CPS. What would you do? So my friend Julie, who was a childhood friend back from rural Georgia, who knows my entire story, comes up with the most brilliant solution. And it starts with, talk to her. She'll probably hate you, but she might appreciate a compassionate person to help with the kids. She might be an overstressed mom in need of help. Don't do it unless you're ready to help. And that was just... why didn't I I think of that? I mean, because my solutions were pretty violent. I I don't normally go around hitting people, but that was pretty darn horrible, right? I mean, I'm banging on walls. I'm thinking about screaming at her. I'm going to call CPS on her for gosh sakes. And so, really, this is going through my mind and, and thankfully, I have such amazing friends all over the world that are able to help me reframe things, why? Why would that be my solution to a neighbor that I don't know that seems to be having a problem? And so I've spent some time kind of looking into that and thinking about that, and it all comes down to, her story's mine. Um, I'm a single mom. Um, I have been a single mom for for many, many years. Um, My son lives with his dad. And there's uh, a lot of emotion uh, surrounding that. And so I, I get this lady, I get it, she's a single mom. So, um, why? Well, because the conflict, the violence that I wanted to, to use, maybe it's an attempt to control what I couldn't control 14 years ago. Um, so I wanna tell you uh, that it does have a happy ending. And so I wanted to tell you what what ended up happening. And, and then as I look back on this, I think of all the other opportunities that I've had, uh, people I've met, you know, people I've talked to in restaurants and malls and churches and everywhere around where I'm from. And I just, I think so many times we just don't even see this. So let me um, kind of give you the rundown of, of the ending of this story. Um, I think it was actually the weekend that the following, uh, a, a little kitten comes running in my back door. So if you guys think that there is no spirit or God, that's cool, we're gonna use Pablo the kitten. <laughs> <laughs> so Pablo comes through my, my balcony sliding glass door and he's just as cute as he can be. And a little girl follows him, and guess who? All right, her name is Terri-Ann, she's four. So her mom and I get to talking on the balcony And I find this out about her. She's in her mid-twenties, and she's been living in this apartment for about a month. And this is her first apartment since she's been out of recovery a little over a year ago. And she does have two kids. She has the four-year-old little girl, and she has a nine-year-old little boy, and they were very loud. And the little nine-year-old had to go back home because, to his dad, because he lived with his dad primarily. So now it was just her and the little girl. She had just recently lost her job. She was a server and they had closed the business and she's hoping that maybe they'll reopen it. And then lastly, if all of that wasn't enough to say to me, Sherry, this is is you. This is you, 20 years ago. I mean, I'm not that old, but anyway. Um, (laughs) So all of these things come crashing down on me. What in the world? Why was I so violent? Why was my first response violence? And so in my life, I'm I'm really having to look at how do I be a peacemaker? And if peace is, like we talked about last week, shalom and being whole, I was ready to tear that family apart. I mean, I was gonna bring someone in to make it a million times worse. I can't even imagine. So I'm really trying to think of peacemaking as, as making my life whole and other people's lives whole. So that's that's my story. So I want to shout out to Julie because I'm going to forward this to her because she did a good thing. Thanks.
0: Hey, thank you, Sharon Because wow. So that, that that's that's a wonderful introduction uh, to what how we're going to press further into this tonight. Because, you know, the question is, who are are the children of God? Really think, who are the children of God? Who are the ones that God calls His own? And how do we know who belongs to God? Well, God's children, ultimately, how do we know when children belong to someone, they look like that someone, right? Are you with me? Look at this. You see, this is how... This is how you know when someone belongs to someone else. you see this? So this is me on the left, and this is Micah on the right. Okay? Seriously. Um, amazing. And then if we were to take a picture of my dad at that age, I, I, I didn't have time to find one, but it would be, we look like triplets. It's, it's amazing. How do we know who God's kids are? It's Honestly, it's those who look like God. It's those who look... Beautiful in mercy and grace and peace and kindness and forgiveness. And and this is going to be incredibly important to remember as we continue to work through the Sermon on the Mount. Because the more we go through the Sermon on the Mount, the harder and harder this kind of gets. Because what happens to us is we begin to try to rationalize away more things. We try to make excuses for why, you know, well, God might look like that, but I don't necessarily look like that in this situation. And God wouldn't necessarily want me to because of X, Y, or Z. But the truth is, we know who God's kids are, because God, Jesus tells us. He's like, this is this is what it is. Uh, Micah, is that uh, Bible verse, Matthew 5? Is that the next one? Matthew 5, chapter uh, 48. No, well, that's Matthew 5, 9. Do you have Matthew 5, 48? Yeah, put it up. So Jesus says, listen, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father. It's hard to get around it. And this is, this is where Jesus is going. He's saying, listen, because it's God who causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, so love all. Let me tell you a couple of stories. First, uh, you can put up that next picture. In ancient texts, ancient myths, ancient narratives all throughout history, they, there are so many of them, and they teach us how... Things came to be. This is a picture of Cain and Abel that Peter Paul Rubens uh, painted in 1600. It was around 1500 BC uh, that the Hebrew account of creation was written down. And the way the story goes, the godlike man whose name was Adam, Adam or Adam means mankind. And Adam impregnated his wife. Eve, which means mother of all. And Eve gave birth to two sons. The first was the older son, Cain. And then there was the other, his brother, Abel. And and here's how the story goes. Both Cain and Abel had this natural desire to build. They had this desire to build cities and, and, and to move forward. They had this desire to work the land. They desired to please God. And there's this one story where they would offer offerings to please God. Now, Abel was a herder of sheep. Cain was an agriculturalist. He grew, uh, he grew from, the, from the land. And they brought their offerings to God. Abel brought his, his offerings of animals and sheep. And Cain brought his offering of the fruit of the land. And for whatever reason, there and there are a number of reasons, but, but God was more in this story with Abel's offering. Well, Cain became upset. Cain was angry with Abel. He was angry with God. And so Cain, the story goes that Cain took his brother out to a field and he murdered his brother. It's the first recorded murder in, in, in ancient texts. And that's what this painting is of, Cain murdering his brother Abel. And then the story says that God came to Cain and said, Now, Cain, where is your brother? For his blood is crying out to me from the ground. His blood is crying out. His blood is crying out for vengeance from the ground. And Cain replies, Well, (laughs) am I my brother's keeper? And then the story goes that Cain then traveled east, and he built a city. In 753 BC, there is a, there's another story, you can put the next picture up, of, of the Roman god, the Roman god by the name of Mars, who impregnated his wife, and she gave birth to two sons. This might be a familiar uh, uh, sculpture for you. These two sons were Romulus and Remus. Now, when Romulus and Remus were born, their uncle took hold of them and took them out to the woods and abandoned them. Abandoned them to die in the woods. And it turns out, as legend goes, that Romulus and Remus were both swept away. They were swept away by the river for safekeeping because Mother Nature was looking out for them. And eventually, they were being fed by woodpeckers and other birds. And eventually, a she-wolf found them And took them in and began to nurture them. Until finally, a shepherd and his wife found them, took them from the she wolf, and raised them and took care of them. Now, when they were old enough, they learned the history of where they came from. And so, what Romulus and Remus did was they went out and they found the uncle that had taken them away from their mother. And took them and abandoned them to die out in the woods they took that uncle and they murdered the uncle now the two of them desired to build a city and so they began to figure out where will we build this city that we desire to build Well, the two brothers could not agree on a location. Romulus wanted the location over here. Remus wanted the location over there. So they did what any normal brothers would do. They fought about it, and then Romulus killed Remus. Not what normal brothers would do, right? But it seems you begin to see a trend. You begin to see a pattern. That's not what normal brothers do. This group over here, whole group right here. That's not what normal brothers do. That's what Cain and Abel did. That's what Romulus and Remus did. Romulus kills Remus. Romulus goes east. He builds the city. The city by the name of Rome. Romulus, the son of the god by the name of Mars. You know who Mars is in Greek mythology, in Roman mythology? Mars is the god of war. There is a system of warring, and it runs through the fabric of civilization for hundreds of thousands, millions of years. There is a system where cities and societies and lives are built. They are constructed, they are erected on the blood of their brothers. Read through the history books. Civilizations are built on the backs and blood of their brothers. You will be hard-pressed to find a civilization. China has been built in this way. Japan has been built in this way. Korea has been built in this way. Russia has been built in this way. The, The UK, that whole area, has been built in this way. America was built in this way. Civilizations and societies are built on the blood of others. Period. You can't argue with the history books. The story of humanity is a story that is filled with violence and horror and mercilessness and pride and greed and anger and unforgiveness and for centuries and civilization and for centuries civilizations have attempted to fix the problem with more of the same. Now think about this. There's a blank on your outline tonight and I don't have the answer. I don't have what you need to put in that blank. You have to figure it out for yourself. But think about this. Think about how we think. If we can just oust that leader then we will have peace. Do you remember remember thinking like that when Saddam Hussein was in power? If we could just oust Saddam Hussein, then we would have peace. And look where we are today. If we could just conquer that land, whatever that land is, and whoever we are, if we could just conquer that land, then we would have peace. Okay, maybe that's too big. What about this? If I could just put that person out of my life, then I could have peace. Or if I could just withhold forgiveness and hold on to this grudge against that person, then I could have peace. If I could see that person get what's coming to them, then I could just have peace. If I could just see my boss fall from her glory, then I would have peace. Now, am I the only one in the room who's ever thought like that? And why do we think like that? Because this is the water that we swim in. this is how society, civilizations, groups of people, and individuals have always thought. This is huge tonight. This, this might be the most important thing we've talked about since, since we've been gathering together. Because if the means and the end are not in complete agreement, if the means and the end are not in complete agreement, then the final end will be polluted. See, what happens is we get the the image of the end. This is what it's going to be like. And then we will say, but I'll do whatever it costs to get to that end. But if we do whatever it costs and it doesn't look like the end that we ultimately want to see, then the end end itself will be polluted. Jesus, in the Gospels, he's actually saying that there is a connection. There is a consistency. There must be unity between the means and the end. Therefore, there is no way to peace. Peace is the way. There is no way to love. Well, if I could just do this, then I could love more. If I could just do this, then I would have more peace. No, there is no way to it. It is the way. Peace is the actual way. Love is the actual way. And here's what happens. Our need for immediate control leads us to disconnect the clear unity between the means and the end. I mean, Sherry said it. She actually used the word control. Like it's this, there was this desire, this need to control. Whenever we have this need to control, we will disconnect the means from the end. And just know that when you do that, when I do that, the end will be polluted. It will not be ult- the ultimate goal. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be known as the children of God. Now, the system is broken. That's the problem. And, and what do I mean by that? Let me unpack that for a minute. Because it's not just about individuals. It's about societies, groups, people, humanity. It's, it's about systems. The, the old system, the system that is at play, is broken. The system of not being our brother's keeper. The old system of building empires on the the lives and backs and blood of others. It has to be reconfigured. It has to be reestablished. It has to be remade. Because when God says to Cain, where is your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Do you know what answer God was looking for? Yes. Yes, Cain. Because this isn't an individual sport. Like, this is is something that we do together. This is is life. This is humanity. This is the real deal. Yes, you're your brother's keeper. And Cain says, no, I don't know where he is. And then God says, and your brother's blood is calling out from the ground. Calling out. And this is the pattern. Guys, this is the pattern spilled blood always calls out for more spilled blood. That's what blood does. That's the norm. And what's needed for you, and what's needed for me, and what's needed for our church, and what's needed for our community, what's needed for 70119, and what's needed for whatever zip code you live in is a new, normal A new paradigm, a new way of living, a new way of experiencing life, a new way of actually being a human being. What's needed is is rescue. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be known as the children of God. Biblical peace, we said this last week, it's not just peace of mind. Biblical peace is not just hitting yoga and getting some inner tranquility. Those things are good, but that's not what biblical peace, ultimately biblical peace, shalom, it's, 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 it's this circle that we talked about, it's this wholeness, it's completeness. Blessed are the reconcilers, peacemakers or reconcilers. Blessed are the reconcilers. Blessed are those who bring community, who bring love and mercy and life into the situation. Because they will be the children of God. So this beatitude, Matthew 5, 9, does not seek and does not focus to get justice through violence. Which is how most of us have been programmed to ultimately move in violent patterns, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, emotional. Being violent towards others to bring about justice or peace. Now, peacemaking. We're not talking about just being nice as defined by today's society. we're not talking about just tolerance as defined by today's society. But we are talking about is an active entrance into the middle of the warring parties. That would be peacemaking. It's an active, I mean, it's not passive. It's actively moving oneself into the middle of the warring parties, seeing what the Spirit of God is doing on this side and on this side, and and seeing if we cannot be the reconcilers that Jesus invites us to be. The peacemaker, as Jesus defines it as the peacemaker is one who Jesus whom Jesus says will be the child of God seeks to reconcile but listen this is not by pretending that there are no differences that's that's not what we're talking about don't pretend there are no differences of course there are differences don't suppress differences that will just you'll just get like constipated that way you know it's just that's not what we're talking about but we're talking about creating the love for the other that transcends the differences. We're talking about moving into the space that permits people to join hands in spite of differences. I'm convinced that it's possible listening to Sherry's story. I mean, this is is what we're talking about. Not adding to the confusion, not adding to the chaos, but moving in cooperation with the Spirit of God to see in a world that's drunk on hate, in a world that is drunk on fear, in a world that is drunk on tearing itself apart in hostility, the reign of Christ brings peace. In John 14, 27, Micah, do we have that one? In John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, and I don't give it to you as the world gives. We could leave that up there for just a second. We could interpret this Almost as saying, Jesus saying, listen, in my death, I'm giving you a new way to peace. I'm giving you peace, but not the way the world gives peace. Go back to when Jesus is speaking. Remember the Pax Romana? It's the peace of Rome. We talked about that last week. And how did Rome bring about peace? Through the sword, through violence. They would come to your town. Caesar is Lord. No, Caesar is not Lord. Not a big deal. They'd lop off their heads. They'd destroy the village. And now there's peace in the land again. Or they would say, yes, okay, fine, Caesar is Lord. And they would say, good, as long as you keep bowing down to us, everything's going to be just great. That's the Pax Romana. Jesus says, that's how the world gives peace. But I give my peace to you, and it's not the way the world gives Pax Christus, the peace of Christ, achieves peace by forgiving enemies, by forgiving enemies, by embracing them as friends, by extending the hand of mercy, the hand of grace, by joining hands together, that is the peace of Christ. and i mean our you know our society just in our lifetimes we've been around long enough to know that you don't actually eliminate violence with more violence it's just this <laughs> it's just this endless cycle the true way to eliminate em- enemies is by loving them by forgiving them by seeking to reconcile them as friends and we might say if you're anything like me you might be tempted to say that is impractical or impossible But the truth is, it's only if we're willing to dismiss Jesus as impractical, because he's the one that said it. He's the one that showed the way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die for the world so that whoever would look to Jesus, whoever would would know Jesus would not perish but would have life. For God did not come to the world to condemn it but to actually save the world. And so I would say to you that, that here's what it looks like. I would say that God is building a city. I would say that God is building a people. Romulus built a city on the blood of Remus. Cain built a city on the blood of Abel. I would say that God is building a city. And that blood is being poured out. But that the blood that was poured out to build the city is God pouring out his own blood. Not at someone else's expense, but at his own. And to me, this is where I believe that we find the beautiful, the mysterious, the sacredness of who God is. Because Jesus says there is a way. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be known as the children of God. There is a way to peace. But it's going to cost you something. Because peacemaking is not always easy. Peacemakers don't always come out on top as the world describes the top. But I would suggest that if it doesn't look like God being murdered and extending love and mercy and forgiveness towards those who are murdering Him, then it's not God. The gospel, the kingdom, always looks like Jesus saying, forgive them. The very ones who were nailing him to the cross. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be known as the children of God. We're going to share communion tonight. But I I think that this is important to say before we move in that direction. Because you need to know for sure that when you work for peace, you will not always be admired. You won't. As a matter of fact, I, I think it goes pretty deep. At times, you will be considered dangerous. You will be considered subversive. You could possibly be considered unpatriotic. You could be considered a fool. You could be considered stupid. You could be considered any number of things. Because this can be quite scary to people, to other people. But this is what Jesus invites us to. Jesus invites us to lay down our grudges. Jesus invites us to lay down our animosity. Jesus invites us to lay down our need to be right. Jesus invites us to lay down all of these things in order that we might be reconcilers, peacemakers, circle makers, those who bring about and cooperate with the Spirit to bring about shalom. Because wherever the Spirit of God is, the Spirit of shalom is there. The question is, will Will we cooperate with the Spirit? Because the Spirit of God brings about peace, love, mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, generosity, unity. So for us, as we move towards communion, I, I would say to you, what does it look like for you? Where does it start for you? It might start at work. It might start with a neighbor. It might start with a child. It might start with a parent. It might start with a sibling. It might start with a friend. Where does it start for you? And what is the Spirit of God? Even now, as we move towards the communion table, what is the Spirit of God saying to you? Where's the invitation?